This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Talk Tuners! Welcome to Stephanie and Stephanie Talk Tunes, the show where we share the stories and memories of the music that has shaped our lives. I'm Stephanie Myers. Hey y'all, Stephanie Pena here. Just really happy and jazzed today, Steph. Mm -hmm. For this one, we're going to be talking about a band and a song with a very interesting history. Um, Yes. Going to be cool. But first, we wanted to drop into our usual top of the episode musical chit chat. Today, talk about some upcoming shows that we have lined up to see. And I know you got some good ones on tap, Stephanie. Yeah. So, hey guys, fall is here finally. Um, or I like to say in San Antonio, fake fall because it's still hot, but it's here. And um, that's exciting. So now we're transitioning more into indoor shows. And I have. A great indoor show coming in October. I will be seeing the Lamb of God Omens Tour. That's their new album. Um, they're partnering with Kill Switch Engage, Animals as Leaders, and Fit for an Autopsy. That's going to be awesome. Um, super stoked about that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, Steph, I'm a little bit of a of a super fan when it comes to Lamb of God, and uh, it's because Randy Bly, man, he, I just, I love him. I think he, he's a big dork in real life, and I've heard him say that plenty of times. Like, and the cool thing is, you know, I've, I've actually heard him say that he doesn't even listen to metal like on the regular. He's usually listening to punk or hip hop, country, whatever. So, I mean, that's pretty fucking cool because this guy is such a prominent force in heavy metal today. Um, and so, and he, for those folks that don't know who Lamb of God is, you should go check them out. I always tell people who don't like metal to check them out because they have groove. They definitely, um, they have that New Orleans influence. You can like literally like shake your butt. Like it's crazy. And just it, they have really good rhythm in their songs. And, um, as a, you know, as a Lamb of God fan, there's some stuff that I just want to share with you guys because Randy has a really interesting history himself. Um, and he's my birthday twin, y'all. So anyway, I have to throw that in there. Yeah. One day, maybe I'll get to meet him and we can have cake together. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, y'all. So Randy has done a lot of cool shit outside of Lamb of God. He actually has a book um, that discusses some drama that recently happened. Not recently. Ten years ago, actually, it happened to him um, back in June of 2012. Um, unfortunately he was arrested while on a European tour in Prague and it was due to the untimely passing of a very young metal fan 
who happen to get on the stage with the band. And it was, well, authorities had said that Randy pushed him back into the crowd. Um, unfortunately, the the young fan fell into a coma and uh, later passed. So he was charged with, you know, manslaughter. Um, and there's a book about it. He talks about it in great detail. It's called Dark Days. Um, their album, uh, the album Lamb of God, actually self-titled, that came out in 2009, talks about his uh, time inside a Prague prison. He was actually released on bail 37 days after his arrest, um, but he was ultimately found not guilty in 2013. And so that's something to check out. It's a really interesting story. So just giving you guys the bare basics on that, because not going to go into it. Um, also, if you are a Lamb of God fan and you haven't seen their documentary, As the Palaces Burn, that particular documentary actually covers their 2012 world tour. So you can see the energy and all that in the crowd, man. Those pits are ridiculous. I'm in the back, y'all, because I'm old. I ain't got time for all that. So, <laughs> but man, dude, I mean, they have a really great show. I mean, Randy's in super good shape. He's like doing David Lee Roth, like jumps, like, you know, like all Van Halen style. I'm like, dude, um, whatever oh you're God. eating, I need to eat. Whatever you're drinking, I need to drink. Um, but for those folks too, Kill Switch Engage is another big band. Um, I'm excited to see them. They should be having a, a album come out. I don't know when the release date is, but according to Jesse Leach, the lead singer, it will be beaming with positivity and hope. And definitely this is one of those bands you want to check out because it their, their songs are really meaningful and can pick up your spirits 100%. So super stoked about this show. Very stoked. That's going to be an amazing show. And what a bill to have them all together like that. yeah 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 i love it man i love it so um super stoked about that but let's turn it on to today's topic yeah it's funny because like i do just feel like while they're not the genre of being the same i feel like this is a band that might just thematically fit in on a bill like that maybe mm -hmm. um so we're here today talk tuners to talk about the band she wants revenge and their classic tear you apart
So as for the band itself, I'll let this great quote from Monkey Goose Magazine kind of say it all, really. That's awesome. It's It just kind of sums it up. Monkey Compri- Goose, I love that. Monkey Goose Magazine. <laughs> So it's comprised of founding members, Justin Moorfield and Adam Rabin. They are familiar Joy Division, New Order, post-punk method that could crack a smile and the darkest heart in goth. Love it. Those dark True hearts story. of goth. Those dark hearts of goth. What a great line. What a great line. Very Edgar Allan Poe. Um, but it's it's true. It's true. It is. It is. And they're... And their music, you know, just, I just think, oh, it's bringing about some joy from their very Joy Division style roots, shall we say. So I just loved that. And I was like, that encapsulates who they are. That encapsulates who they are. And so it is, um, for all intents and purposes, mostly this duo. The band has also contained touring members, Thomas Froggett, Scott Ellis, and Jason Payne doing guitars and drums and percussion. But Justin and Adam have been the heart of the band since they began and they're kind of the, they're the root as it were, who holds it together. So very cool. Yeah. I only see them too in any type of promos. And as you know, I was reading more um, interviews and stuff with them. I've only seen those two. So thanks for bringing that up, Stephanie. I was always wondering, cause I know we've seen them live. Obviously we're going to have some live stuff to talk about very soon, but uh, yeah, they are the face for sure. Definitely She Wants Revenge is a dark wave band. Um, I will say this, though. They're not depressing like Joy Division. So they're <laughs> they definitely influence like sounds, you know, has some influences yeah. there, but they're not. They're, they're definitely not the same. Um, some cool history behind the band. So they actually have hip hop roots. Um, and uh, Bravin was a DJ or maybe solo DJ, but he is noted for once DJing for former President Barack Obama. Pretty cool. Um, the band was formed in 2003 and grew in popularity due to word of mouth, industry connections, and airplay on Sirius Satellite Radio. That's where I heard them. I was stream Sirius at work every day, all day back when I was an event planner um, in 07 is when I first heard them. And I love it. Word of mouth. Like this is definitely was an underground band. Of course, Tear You Apart was the one that they were blasting on, on the satellite. That's the first song I heard, first song I fell in love with. Um, but at in 2007, they had just completed their second album, This Is Forever. And that's my favorite album, hands down. Oh my gosh. But these guys have many records. They're, they're phenomenal. And one thing I want to bring up is their name, right? Stephanie, she wants revenge. That's, that's so unique. So ominous. And I'm like, I'm like, cool. So I had to do some digging. I'm like, where did they get this name? I was hoping for some type of dark story, but no. So (laughs) that's all right. Not everything has to be dark and drama, but anyway, I was hoping, I was hoping um, but uh, Adam actually was interviewed and quoted that he wanted something feminine for this band. He wanted to name it Girl Revenge. And then Justin spun it to She Wants Revenge. And there you go. Boom. You have She Wants Revenge. So I'm a little disappointed. I'm a little disappointed, but that, whatever. An <laughs> origin story, though, to be like, okay, we want to like involve some kind of feminine phrasing here. Right. And- bring it to that level, which is funny. Yeah. Not what I would have expected either. I don't think. Yeah. It's all good. Doesn't take away from any of their talent, but I was just really hoping there was like some type of meaty story there. Sure. 
Sure. Well, it's interesting, too, because their own story, as we know, is just kind of interesting. You talked a little bit about uh, Adam's roots, and then Justin has these roots, too. He had this really long and and varied career before Mm -hmm. he came to uh, She Wants Revenge. A decade before, he was actually a rapper. He was actually a rapper. So he... Uh, while in She Wants Revenge, his vocals were often compared to Joy Division's Ian Curtis. And then talking about going to the other end of the spectrum during his rap career, his voice was likened to a tribe called Quest's Q-Tip. So, you know, he was all over the place musically. And I thought that was a really interesting origin story for where he ended up landing in She Wants Revenge. Um, And even one step further, this was pretty fascinating to me, Justin's father was Maurice uh, Warfield, and he was an Epic Records executive who had been, yeah, really important in the careers of Luther Vandross and Barry White. These huge names. Okay. All yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. These huge names, right? So that was really cool. And then in 1991, Justin, when he was 17, released Season of the Vic, and that was a minor rap radio hit. And it was cool. produced by the son of legendary producer. Quincy Jones. It's called Quincy Jones the Third, or QB3. Wow. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool. I'd say Quincy Jones is one of my top five favorite producers of all time. Badass sure. producer. And I was like, oh, what a cool connection. But to see the path, right, that they took to get to She Wants Revenge is not, I don't think, a conventional path. So I thought it was really fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's so fascinating. Oh my gosh. And I'm just mentioning my brief knowledge of knowing that it was connections, industry connections. Well, shit, you have that talk about connections. You got Quincy Jones, the the third, you know, producing you. And I mean, wow. So that's pretty awesome. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, you know, as far as their influencers, they are on record for mentioning David Bowie, Peter Murphy, Sonic Youth, The Cure, Depeche Mode, and Prince as some of their main influencers. Now, I'm just throwing this in here, Talk Tuners. We do have uh, other episodes that you may want to check out on David Bowie, Sonic Youth, and The Cure. So, and Prince. Yeah, got some fun stuff there. But um, back to She Wants the Revenge. She Wants Revenge. She Wants the Revenge. Listen to me. I'm making it like a a horror movie or something. (laughs) She wants the revenge. Oh my goodness. Anyway. I'm into well, it. I'm... <laughs> Project. All right. So um, I was checking out this article from Peekaboo Magazine. Justin Warfield is quoted um, about his influences. And I'm just going to read it. Uh, of course, these are all elements that you pick up on over years of being a listener and a fan. So yeah, he was a listener and a fan and he really enjoyed these acts. But once you really start amassing a body of work and finding yourself as a band, you start to strip away the influences and become what you are. And though the influence remains, you hopefully come out with songs that represent you, resent who you are as individuals, musicians, people in a band. And I think we have definitely carved out a niche and sound that is very much our own. I couldn't agree more. Like. When I first heard them, I'm like, yeah, it's definitely like dark, but I couldn't pinpoint it towards one artist. Um, you know, we, we called out Joy Division for sure. Absolutely. There's some roots, but it's not 100 percent. Like it, it's not. It's it's yeah, it's not a copy. Totally. So. That's super interesting, Stephanie. Think about it's like, OK, how do we do something that's our own? And it just makes me think of 
what the context was, right? When Terry mm -hmm. Apart came out. And I just want to kind of paint a picture for folks. You know, it was 2006. They were so buzzed about. There's an article in Consequence of Sound that talks about like few new bands were as buzzed about as she once revenge yeah. back then. So just, you know, it's not something we're pulling out here. It's like, <laughs> yeah. this was just, this was like a, this was like a well-known fact. So it was fascinating as they kind of were climbing their uh, notoriety. It was January of that year. They had uh, released their self-titled album and that, yeah, had evoked what folks were calling the dark wave post-punk of the early mm -hmm. 80s. And at that point, Tear You Apart was a top 10 hit on alternative radio. And, you know, its sound was differentiated enough to really stand out on these playlists that, as the article was saying, dominated by like Weezer and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's just totally different True. sound. You know, we played a clip, but definitely go and listen to what was there because it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's very different from what was happening at the moment. So I thought Absolutely. that was interesting. Yeah, no, that's super cool. Um, for sure. Definitely, definitely different than Weezer and Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 100%, right? 100%. 100%. Couldn't be more different. And then too, I think about how this song was really differentiated by how they decided to do the treatment of the mm -hmm. music video, which is mm -hmm. just rewatched it, was like, oh, wow. Okay, this is different. So first of all, the actor Joaquin Phoenix directed... <laughs> the video that was his video mm -hmm. so it's this really it's fun and it's dark just like them but this song is going on in the background of the video of course while this separate creepy story kind of unfolds in the subtitles mm -hmm. and that story is centered around kind of a doomed teens in love story yeah yeah i don't know if spoiler alert has you know needed from things from 2006 but you know go watch it <laughs> go watch it and i'm not going to spoil the ending it's pretty weird and pretty good is how i would describe it so go check mm -hmm. it out very readily available on youtube but this music video and its prominence continued to propel their image and this song right this song in and of itself was an ad like the music video was an ad for the song yeah, absolutely. I mean, gosh, and Joaquin Phoenix, y'all, I mean, he's definitely someone who has, um, I would say very unique. Um, everyone, he's a household name now, but not in 06. You know, his brother River is, absolutely. But he was still up and coming at this time and super cool that he brought his art into the video. In fact, um, I actually, once I heard the, the song on Sirius, I started Googling everything I needed to know about this band because I got super excited. I'm like, oh, dark wave stuff. Yay. Stephanie's heart is her bats are fluttering in her heart. And I'm like, okay. Um, and I, and I found out that he, you know, did the video. So yeah, super cool guys. Check it out. Um, definitely. But, uh, yeah, this song, you know, is uh the song's unique the video is on point and with the video too and it, it has like a little love story in it because that's what the song is about um it it shows a lot of like social awkwardness and stuff because they are teens so it really picks up on that we've all been there done that so <laughs> i really enjoyed it really enjoyed it yeah it's a really it's really fun and it has the staying power this is pretty interesting to me it was actually this year 2022 mm -hmm. that tear you apart got recognition from the RIAA, what? the Recording Association. Um, it was January of this wow. year that the band received its first RIAA plaques. So Terry Apart was certified both gold and platinum. So just really shows mm. 
the staying power, right? Of the signal yeah. just in the cultural zeitgeist, how it stayed around. That's awesome. Well, well, not awesome. It took this long, but man, I mean, it it, it shows. Yeah, it's def it definitely is a uh, timeless for sure. Yeah, totally would agree. So, you know, musically, they stand alone. I think in so many ways, and just such a cool band. And you know, on this show, we don't also shy away from controversy and yeah. things over the years. We do like to, you know, we like to connect the dots and tell. Tell full stories. So we always want to give people a full picture. So with that, you know, they weren't without their share of controversy. Mm -hmm. um, in 2015, Adam had co-founded the Hollywood Goth Club, very fitting, uh, called Cloak and Dagger. And why didn't I go? Yeah, right? Go. That just sounds very... <laughs> Man, and when you were in town, why didn't we go together? Because it just sounds like very, anyway. very both up our alleys. Yeah. Um, yes. So... <laughs> despite uh, the cool name and like what sounds like a pretty cool vibe. It actually closed in 2021 and it was amidst kind of this big firestorm of controversy. And there's allegations that um, the actor Thomas Middleditch, who's known from Silicon Valley, um, had mm. just continually harassed women at the venue. And the LA Times wrote it up and they said that Adam, you know, as co-founder, he was accused of ignoring multiple instances of sexual misconduct in the club that was unfolding, um, mm -hmm. including patrons and on female employees. So mm. again, the club ended up closing and you kind of end up thinking, okay, it's kind of closed within after these allegations sort of surfaced. So, you know, it's not around anymore, but something that we wanted to bring up. Yeah, I want to read more about that. That is interesting. I mean, it had a pretty long run for a new club-ish, right? Yeah, for a um, club, yeah. yeah, of course, LA has, you know, the Sunset Strip, and you're going to have your historical clubs, music venues there, little bars, what have you. But um, that's a pretty good run, speaking that it was founded in 2015. So definitely need to check it out. And I'm still mad I didn't go. But yeah, anyway. yeah. <laughs> you can, if you want to hear more about goth clubs, we've... <laughs> Uh, decided to frequent talk tuners. I would check out the Cure episode because we got yeah. some fun stories there with that one. But absolutely, we, you know, this is thematic for us. Something we continue to touch on. Some continue to touch on. But uh, yeah, the band itself—it's interesting because they were known for just breaking up, getting back together, just sort of <laughs> this endless cycle. They'd been active from it was like 2004 to 2012. Mm -hmm. In 2015 to 2020, which was like the the window that we ended up catching them in. And then yeah. 2022, like starting this year, like through today. So we caught them in that middle window, but they are back together again. They're actively touring. If you check it out, you can see their touring schedule. So definitely go catch them. And I'm you know excited to talk about what that show was like and seeing that and seeing it in such a historic space too. I thought that was a really cool show. Yeah, heck yeah, heck yeah. Um, on that note of their makeup breakup uh, pattern, so they have been on record just saying that they're they didn't break up. They just took some time for themselves. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Yeah, that's fair. Funny. I love it. Um, after their first hiatus was actually after their third album, Valley Heart, and guys, all of their albums definitely has the L.A. influence. They are straight up L.A. They are they are just not they are L.A. 
boom. <laughs> There's nothing more to say other than that. Um, and then uh, actually Warfield had started a family. So he took a hiatus and Bravin pursued a side project, Love, Ecstasy and Terror. Okay. Okay. All right. So got something to check out. Got some homework, y'all. Never heard that one. Love, Ecstasy and Terror. So yeah, things were quiet, but then all of a sudden, Lady Gaga brought them back to life, brought them back to the limelight. And what I'm referencing is, y'all, American Horror Story, um, it's season five, Hotel. And I'm sure there's plenty of folks here that love that show. I'm definitely one of those. It's my third favorite in the series. Um, it's based um, in what they call the Hotel Cortez, but it is influenced by the one and only the Cecil Hotel. And uh, Stephanie, your next door neighbor back in the day. Um, yeah. So, and the show is actually more about vampires and yeah, obviously there's a, it's very involved. There's a lot of elements. However, this is, uh, she brought in Tear You Apart, not just a little clip, so I was reading off of Isthmus that Gaga requested that the producers of American Horror Story include the duo's biggest hit, Tear You Apart, in, in the fifth season, of course. The show didn't use a snippet. Um, it built a scene around the entire song. And this is episode one, y'all. Episode one. You're getting introduced to all the characters. And Lady Gaga is a vamp, uh, vampress. Um, if, I'm, if I'm saying that right, I always have trouble saying that word. So... Um, showing her, you know, her first, uh, you know, appearance in the show and all her people and the vibe and all that. It's very glamorous and, uh, and check it out. But yeah, it's like pretty much the entire song. So word. So brought that to the limelight and the band was, uh, laughing because so like after that happened, you know, it, it's that super mainstream. A lot of people thought they were a new band. <laughs> It's so interesting to me when pop culture brings folks back into the limelight. And we're seeing that right now with Kate Bush and running up that hill via Stranger mm -hmm. Things. So I feel like this was an interesting parallel that was kind of happening too, just as far as bringing that notoriety back, bringing them back into the spotlight. Absolutely. I mean, Metallica's Master of Puppets, same thing with Stranger Things, you know? I mean, yeah. Metallica, everybody knows Metallica is, but it's like that song, everyone forgot about it. Not me. Anyway. Yeah. Right? Not you. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> Not you at all. Yeah, but let's talk about the show, man. Let's do that. Yeah, you know, it was such a cool time. You and I and a couple of our friends going to see She Wants Revenge July 2016. It was in New York, and it was at this great venue, Irving Plaza. And I think our fellow music heads in Talk Tuner land are probably going to know Irving Plaza. Mm -hmm. Such a great night. Yeah, it was such a cool show. There was such a cool vibe. Um, it was just such a, uh, it was very, I felt like on parallel with who they were aesthetically, you know, mm -hmm. they've kept that the whole night. The show opened with this really cool pop trio, Raw Fabrics opening for them. I felt like the vibe, you know, just stayed a very certain way the whole time. And I know you'd had some memories around that and it was just so special for a concert, right? Yeah, for sure. Definitely on point. To me, it was more like, it's like a speakeasy vibe, man. Once we walked in, 
it was dim. I mean, guys, we weren't going into like a cave or anything, but it was just, you know, that speakeasy vibe where it's dim. Um, er, you know, everything was just, it looked pristine. Like, I mean, Irving Plaza is, of course it's, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a dive club or a dive venue by any means, but, um, I don't know, it just had a different feel that night. Um, and it was crowded as hell, like super crowded. The, it was a sea of black, and like the fans, it was a whole sea of black, you know, it's like, I got, I got dressed up for the occasion. I don't know why I wore a dress. I don't wear dresses to shows, but I was like, I'm going to see she wants revenge. I'm going to be cute. So, you know, I, I don't think I've ever worn a dress to another. No, I have. I have. I lied. This is probably the second time I wore a dress to a show. Um, but yeah, no, it was super cool. The, the opening band definitely set the, uh, the tone. And I just remember the crowd, like everybody was very respectful and it was super crowded, y'all, super crowded. So if you know Irving Plaza and just the layout, you know, you are, you're stuck like sardines. And uh, it was, it was great. It was super great. It's awesome. Yeah, it was such a cool night. And yeah, I just think about the context of Irving Plaza what a cool place that is to see a show. You know, we talk a lot on this podcast just about the music history. And a lot of that is music history of New York since we were yeah. there for so long. And that includes the historic music venues of New York. So I just wanted to talk for a second about the history of Irving Plaza. It was built in 1860. And before becoming a concert venue, it was a hotel, it was a union meeting hall, it was a performing wow. arts space, and even a Polish community center. Um, before, really? Yeah, before oh. becoming this concert space um, for concerts in 1978. So I thought that was really neat. I love the history of buildings, but especially yeah. it's just like, you know, you can feel it in spaces when you go and see these shows. Mm -hmm. and yeah, totally. It's just you know, it's a very special feeling to be with everything that's come before in yeah. these really cool spaces. And I had the good fortune of seeing just a, I can't even count how many shows there mm -hmm. in Plaza in New York. And I know you did oh, as yeah. well. So oh, yeah. many, like, I don't, I don't think I could even begin to count. So it's just a really cool space. I would say a fairly intimate venue. If you compare it with like Madison square garden, um, mm -hmm. just in terms of capacity, your best bet is to see uh, the show really well is like going on the sides or upstairs. Um, and it's just a, it's just a unique, unique space, but it's just known so much. And it's near and dear, I think to the hearts of music loving New Yorkers that when yeah. they tried to change the name um, as part of this branding campaign by Live Nation, who was its owner in mm -hmm. 2007, it became the Fillmore New York at Irving Plaza. Mm. And uh, became this new marquee and whatever. And uh, that new name never caught on with fans. And bending to what Live Nation said was unrelenting demand, they restored the old name and then installed a replica of the old marquee. So wow, Irving is Irving again. It came <laughs> back around. Uh, but yeah, I just want to like, so you have to understand the iconicness of this venue itself and the right. sheer heft that the name carried, right? Yeah. The former owner of the club, Andrew uh, Rossage, he said, changing the name of Irving Plaza to the Fillmore was as silly as changing the name of Carnegie Hall. He That's said, true. 
Yeah, he said there's a certain energy karma that lingers in a venue long after the lights shut down. The renaming was a failure of recognizing how quintessential that karma is to the experience people have when they come together for a show. So I'm just going to say talk to you. It's like Irving Plaza was held in the same esteem as Carnegie Hall. So playing there was and is an honor, right? And it was, mm -hmm. I feel like as an audience member, it was an honor that night to see She Wants Revenge in that space. Yeah. Definitely. And I've seen so many different types of shows. So I've even seen, I've seen Cannibal Corpse at Irving Plaza to, oh my God, to the darkness. We saw them together, Stephanie there. So a lot of really great, great acts. I'm so glad we went and she wants revenge. Just, you know, just definitely another good memory for us. Um, I just, I remember like the crowd was dancing and it was like, again, it was packed, but you know, you could, it, it, I just cannot, explain enough like how I don't my gosh I mean it was just it was nice <laughs> and it's like I, I there's no other way for me to say it's nice but uh I have seen she wants revenge a couple of other times now the first time I saw this band um I decided to dress up again so I guess it's a theme um but uh, I just remember I wore little heels and I'm like okay I'm 20 something I'm gonna go out I had just um yeah, guys, you have to remember though, like I was growing up, I was always in the mosh pit. My hair was in a bun. I was always like ready, but I was like, no, we're, we're past that now. Yeah, ready to enjoy the show from afar. And uh, this was back in 2009. I actually had moved back from New York the first time and uh, I caught him at the now uh, defunct White Rabbit. It's historical. Talk about historical venues. White Rabbit was a staple. I grew up watching shows there from high school. Oh my God. If you're from San Antonio or you're from Texas and you love live music, I'm pretty sure you've seen a show with the white rabbit. It's on the St. Mary strip broke my heart when it changed its name um, to paper tiger, but now it's good. It's fine. I've gotten over it. However, she went revenge was there. And what I loved about that show in particular was that Adam made a comment about how they had played Austin the night before but San Antonio was the better crowd. Of course. <laughs> y'all, for y'all that aren't Texans, there is this love affair between Austin and San Antonio, always trying to one-up each other. But I just thought that was funny. I'm like, you're not local. Like, this is just weird. But maybe I'm reading more into it than what it was. Um, but I, I, I love that. I love that. And uh, I actually saw this band. This was my first show. And actually, his first show I saw with Jeff, my husband, y'all. So um, I was super surprised and joyed that there was somebody else local that knew the band. And I'm like, sweet, let's go. And I'm like, yeah, this guy's got good taste, good music taste. So definitely want to bring that up, too. So, uh, Jeff, you remember that show it was cool. Now, the third, uh, third time I saw them was at the paper tiger. Okay. I, okay, I do yeah. support the paper tiger. He came back. Um, it was on the five, our, me and Jeff's five year anniversary, Friday the 13th in December. Um, they played this is forever in its entirety. Awesome. Oh my God. Gothy romantic. Like I got chills y'all. This is so cute. Like what? 
yeah, I'm, oh, those bats are fluttering again in my heart. Um, but, uh, it was definitely a different vibe. It was good. Um, I don't have to go into it. I'm sure you guys can read into that. Um, but I do want to make a joke that the year before we saw Whitechapel, which is a metal band on our anniversary at come and take it live in Austin. So, you know, Hey, <laughs> it was good, but yeah. So the, our fifth anniversary is extra special because of she wants revenge. So hell yeah. Um, want to share that. And I, honestly want to hear from folks in LA. I know we have some listeners in LA. I want to know if anyone saw them, you know, when they were still considered underground, you know, um, I'm, there's gotta be a lot of history there that we're missing. So talk tuners, talk to us. Yeah. I'm very interested too. I'd love to go, you know, back to those venues and check Mm -hmm. them out and just see who's playing now. So we'd love to hear this type of stuff. Uh, remember that you can always reach out to us directly We love hearing your memories, right? We'll periodically announce those on the show and we will periodically read five-star reviews from Apple Podcasts and Good Pods. So really appreciating those. I really appreciate the nice things that folks are saying. So thank (laughs) you. Thank you. Um, You can reach us, of course, at stephaniestalktunes at gmail.com and any social platform that you are on, we are probably on. You can find us at Stephanie's Talk Tunes on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and then just Stephanie's Talk on Twitter. Definitely connect with us. Yeah, for sure. And we have merch too, guys. So don't don't forget about that. You can just go to stephaniestalktunes.com. Check us out. We got all sorts of things. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for listening, y'all. I look forward to hearing your feedback. I'm out. This is Stephanie. I got to go. Bye, guys. Stephanie, see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.